Welcome to the Insurance Law Podcast, brought to you by Best Directory of Recommended Insurance Attorneys. Welcome to the Insurance Law Podcast, the broadcast about timely and important legal issues affecting the insurance industry. I'm John Zuba, editor of Best Directory of Recommended Insurance Attorneys. Joining me is Brendan Noonan from our communications team. We're pleased to have with us today attorney Daniel Rabb from the law firm Daniel W. Rabb, PA, in Miami, Florida. Dan has served the South Florida area for over 20 years. He has a wide range of knowledge in the areas of admiralty and transportation. He also handles a variety of business issues. He is the author of Transportation Terms and Conditions and a contributing author for Goods in Transit. Dan also authored a chapter on Understanding Inland Marine Insurance for the 2011 edition of the new Appleman Insurance Law Practice Guide, which will be out in September. He is an adjunct professor of insurance law and policy, and we're very pleased to have him with us today. Thank you so much, Dan. Good to be here. Our topic today deals with the limitations of liability case under the Montreal Protocol, and Brendan Noonan is going to lead off with our first question. Uh, Dan, can you tell us briefly about this case and why it's significant? Yeah, it's really a highly significant case, and as I will explain further, it shows kind of a restrictive trend in cargo claimants being able to file claims. This particular case involved a shipment of insulin internationally, which put it under what's called the Montreal Protocol, which is a successor treaty to the Warsaw Convention. Under this particular treaty, there are certain severe limitations of liability, which have been the subject of a good deal of litigation. What happened in this case was that there was not only an airline, but also a logistics company, Air Express International USA, Inc., more commonly known as DHL Global Forwarding, who had issued airway bills. So what happened in this case, there was litigation over whether or not this 907 per pound limitation contained in the airway bill, that is the shipping agreement, being applicable to this particular shipment. What made this case a little bit unusual was that there was also a service contract that had been signed between DHL and Eli Lilly and Company. And Eli Lilly and Company and their insurer were trying to use this service contract to try to get around the limitation of liability that's contained in the airway bills that were issued by DHL, and there was also one issued by Lufthansa. But Lufthansa had already uh, settled their part of the claim, and they weren't involved in the appeal. What made this case significant was that on the trial court level, it was held that the limitation of 907 per pound was not applicable, and Eli Lilly and Company and its insurer were able to get a judgment or at least the right to pursue $10 million. Actually, there was a judgment for over $10 million. So, of course, DHL wanted to appeal that decision. It's significant because the decision was reversed on appeal and the 907 per pound limitation was applied, and that greatly uh, limited the amount of damages. Basically, the appellate court said that you have to go back to the bill of lading. What is significant about this limitation of liability is that actually the carrier must give the cargo claimant an opportunity to declare a higher value, and it was held in this case that that was open 
to the cargo claimant and they didn't take advantage of it. Normally, I would say in the vast majority of cases that I've handled over the years, do cargo interests ever declare a higher value with an air carrier or even an, an ocean carrier because it's really very expensive. Usually, as in this case, they have their own insurance. The reason why the court did not find that the service agreement superseded the airway bill was really kind of twofold. They found that any increase allegedly contained as far as in the indemnification in the service agreement would not be applicable because it was really to protect Eli Lilly and company against third-party claims made against it rather than claims against the air carrier. They also found that there was no mention made in the service agreement of the Montreal Protocol or the Warsaw Convention, both of which were in effect at different times after this service contract had been agreed to. To me, the reason why this case is so significant is it just shows how difficult it is to really try to get around these limitations of liability in the Montreal Protocol. It's the courts have been increasingly headed this way toward enforcement of these provisions. Uh, Dan, why is it getting more difficult to deal with limitation liability issues? Well, some of the wording may be had changed a little bit, but it's changed to the point where, and I almost hate to put it this way, but almost even if something is bordering on being reckless, it's still hard to defeat this limitation of liability. Uh, years ago, I remember I had a case where one of my clients was involved in a situation where an air carrier had completely undone a method for sending out a certain type of cargo, and I was able to get around the limitation of liability representing the shipper. But now, with the current court interpretations, it's getting really hard. The best way to try to beat something like this would be to declare a higher value and or to do what actually the shipper, Eli Lilly, did in this case, and that is to get your own insurance. I'm not, you know, 100% sure why the courts would want to continue to go in this direction where it's really even difficult to try to get around something that was recklessly done. So some of the language has been modified, and this is really of a great benefit to an insurance company that insures an air carrier. It's also significant to insurers who insure the, the shippers or the purchasers of the cargo because the insurance company should know that it's going to be very difficult to try to get around these limitations of liability that are contained in airway bills unless, unless and I emphasize this, there is a higher declared value on the airway bill. And do these uh, matters pertain to both domestic and international areas? Excellent question. The Montreal Protocol just applies to international shipments, not to domestic shipments. But it is possible that, that an attorney or an insurer looking at this might find attempts to try to incorporate some of these limitations of liability into domestic shipments. Actually, though, I've seen even more uh, stringent or lower limits of liability on uh, domestic shipments. Uh, Dan, in general, how closely do you need to watch the other areas outside of Florida? In general, uh, as far as the application of as it goes to this particular case? Right. Yeah, exactly. 
Okay, well, it seemed as though in this particular instance, the court really went and based it largely on the Montreal Protocol, but there was some reference made in the court decision to looking at Florida law. So I would say in in looking at a service agreement that I would not totally uh, discount what state law has to say about how a contract is interpreted. For instance, if let's say this was entered into in Indiana or another state where this law was held to be applicable, you could look to that state law as to how the service agreement was going to be interpreted. So it would have some significance, but it seemed like ultimately where the court was headed with this was to uphold the limitations of liability. Again, what made this case difficult to uh, along with many others, to try to get around that limitation of liability was the service agreement was not altogether clear that it would protect the shipper against DHL's limitations of liability. It was more like if somebody claimed against DHL, then they could pass that along to, uh, against Eli, that they could then pass it along to DHL. The other thing that I think is significant about this case, and insurers who are taking their rights of subrogation should know that even with the low limitations of liability, DHL was not the actual air carrier, but they did issue a house airway bill. So the bad news for them was that they could be subjected to air carrier liability, but the good news from the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals was that they could assert all the limitations of liability that an air carrier could in its airway bill. So I, I think that the practitioner and the insurer should know about that because at least you get a shot at two different targets. This is kind of analogous to an ocean shipment where there might be a non-vessel operating common carrier who doesn't actually operate the ship but issues a ocean bill of lading, and then there's the steamship company that also issues an ocean bill of lading. So it's important to be aware that there's a shot at two common carriers in many instances of cargo claims. Uh, What else should insurers in particular be concerned about? I would say from the defense standpoint, if an insurer is going to insure an airline that is taking cargo on an international shipment, the insurer should review the airway bill and make sure that the Montreal Protocol is incorporated into the airway bill of its insured. The other thing that should be in there as well in airway bills, and this is pretty significant, would be the time limits for filing claims. They're pretty severe, and if you don't make a claim, in the case of damage, if it's not done within 14 days of receipt, it could be lost in 21 days after the date of delivery as far as loss of cargo. So I would say that these things should definitely be included in in the airway bill. The insurer should insist upon it. Now, if you're an insurer who is insuring the cargo, you should be aware that like 99.9% of airway bills are probably going to have these limitations of liability, and the insurer should figure out its claims posture accordingly. In recent years, it is conceivable that there are a couple of insurers or a few policies that have actually said that the 
cargo interest should declare a higher value on airway bills. But again, during the years that I've been doing this, usually it winds up being the insurer that bears the risk. Again, the best advice that you can give to a shipper is to make sure that it has insurance. And the other thing that that exists is some carriers do issue what's called insured bills of lading, and in that scenario, the shipper would be protected anyway and might not have to deal with these issues of liability since it's first-party insurance. And then are there any other developments we could expect from this? Since this happened in August of last year, I think it's kind of unlikely that it's going to go up to the United States Supreme Court. If there is a decision that comes out in that regard, then that would certainly be interesting. But it seemed as though that this was following the current trend. And I guess until such time as the Congress tries to modify this law, that the trend will be continuing in the same direction. There is one other thing that I do want to clarify. Uh, You know, again, I mentioned before that it's important in the case of damage that the carrier receive written notice within 14 days of receipt. In the case of delay, the complaint must be made within 21 days from the date the cargo is delivered. So I want to clarify that in case I wasn't clear before. The other thing is that an insurance company that is trying to make a subrogation claim should be aware that any legal action must be brought within two years from the date of arrival at destination or from the date on which the aircraft ought to have arrived or from the date on which the carriage stopped. I I think that this is important to note because I know like in the state of Florida, you have five years to sue on a written breach of contract, but under the Warsaw Convention, you have these issues about when you have to make a written claim or you lose it, and the statute of limitations is a good deal shorter. Okay, Dan, thanks so much for joining us today. Okay, thank you for having me. That was Daniel Rabb from the Daniel W. Rabb PA Law Firm in Miami, Florida. Special thanks to Brendan Innan from our communications team and to our producer, Brian Cohen. And thank you all for joining us for the Insurance Law Podcast. To subscribe to this audio program, visit podcast.insuranceattorneysearch.com or go to online directories such as iTunes or Google or Yahoo's podcast directory. If you have any suggestions for a future topic regarding an insurance law case or issue, please email us at lawpodcast.ambest.com. I'm John Zuba, joined by Brendan Noonan, and now this message. Best's directory of recommended insurance attorneys is used by decision makers at insurance companies responsible for selecting legal counsel and representation. The printed directory is distributed annually to insurance companies, non-insurance companies, third-party administrators, and corporate counsel around the world, and the online edition is accessible throughout the year. Your listing in Best's directory of recommended insurance attorneys is the most effective way to ensure that thousands of potential clients have access to your outstanding credentials. Here's why you should be listed in the number one insurance insurance attorney reference. Your firm's credentials will be listed in our comprehensive reference guide, which is made available to thousands of insurance professionals globally, both in print and online. AMBEST listees are recognized as the most qualified in their field to represent the unique needs of insurance companies. Key decision makers rely on the directory to take the guesswork out of their selection process. They know that only the best are listed, those firms with a proven track record of excellence who are recommended by their insurance industry clients. And remember, one low rate guarantees year 
year-long visibility for your firm. We invite you to use our web application process to apply for a listing today. With our reasonable rates and broad exposure, there's no more effective way to get the attention of the insurance industry. For more information about Best's Directory of Recommended Insurance Attorneys, visit www.insuranceattorneysearch.com. 